Welcome to 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence, the podcast where we interview real people with real stories of taking charge of their time and reaching financial independence faster. And now, your host, Elisa Zen. Hi, everyone. How are you?、Um, welcome to our today's episode of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. And today I have Stephen Pasavento here with me. And、uh, Stephen is a serial entrepreneur and he's had op-、uh, started a multiple successful business.、Um, and what strikes me is Stephen's single focus on、uh, all his multiple ventures、um, at the, any given time.、Um, so, really glad to have you, Stephen,、uh, with us today. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Alyssa. It's always a pleasure to、uh, be able to share. Yeah, that's awesome. So we're going to dive right in. Usually, we like to ask our guests, starting from the beginning, and just try to get to their mindset and who, why did they become who they are?、Um, so, can you walk us back all the way back in your childhood, the、um, people and events that are very influential to you in terms of shaping who you are, like the independent thinker that you are today? This is one of my favorite questions because it's a question I've been asking people in interviews since well before I was a podcaster. And I think what's great about this question is that it really shows who somebody is and where they come from. And so for me, when I think about this question,、eh, it brings me back to you know, growing up with two amazing parents, parents that were loving and caring, and yet they were extremely stressed about money. And money was the thing that kept coming back to really bite them over and over and over again. And it was the thing that they cycled on and obsessed over and worried about. And I think it's the same kind of feeling that a lot of people feel. Maybe、mm-hmm. other people have grown up with that kind of a feeling. And, you know, that memory、uh, really drove me to wanting to go down the path of entrepreneurship, to be able to create and control my own path so that I knew that I could. Be financially free and independent. And for so many other people, there's so many other directions that you can go. You don't need to go and be an entrepreneur and take、right. all the risks and, and you know, be the person who's in charge and in control. But for me, that was the path that I saw. This is my way out of this storm. This is the way that I can break through and break free and、mm-hmm. not have to have those same struggles and worries. Now, ironically, as you make more money and you start you know, having more money than your family probably ever had made、uh, at a young age, you end up also realizing that. It doesn't solve all the problems. And so it's、mm-hmm. just one piece of a much larger puzzle, which is really what drove me to having such an, an obsession with understanding mindset and how people think and how those thoughts and beliefs end up playing such a direct role in the actions that we take. And it's really what I focus on in my show, the Investor Mindset Podcast, because at the core, if you can understand how people think, then you can start to take those thoughts and beliefs as your own. And start to have some of the same outcomes yourself. I, I know, I know、uh, Alyssa, that you've had some of the same experiences yourself, learning from other people and then applying some of those、oh, yeah. in your own life. Absolutely. Every single guest on our show teaches me something.、Uh, you know, it ranges from just making myself look better on the camera、uh, through the Zoom <laughs> free apps. Or、uh, to, you know, like good ideas in terms of like ended up making, you know, Thousands of、uh, free cash flows for me. 
at the end. Um, so this, this is why we host the show, just to generate some more idea for folks to also gather the courage to, you know, uh, move on from their daytime job. Um, so Stephen, that was really interesting. So can you kind of recall back um, in terms of like, is there a particular, you know, there's the desire, hey, I want to make more money, but how did you stumble upon like entrepreneurship is the way to go? Because oftentimes we were told just to go get a job and then it's a stable and that's kind of how your way climb out of it. Right. So it's slightly different kind of path that you're taking over there. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about where, you know, that kind of independent thinking like I can make on your own kind of mindset got in there? Yeah. And I think it's even more than making money. I think that's the core is that it, it, it's less about the money and it's more about the what the money would give me. Mm-hmm. And it was this belief that if I had X dollars of money, maybe it was 40,000, maybe it was 50,000, then it was a hundred, then it was 200, then it was, you know, it continues to grow. It mm-hmm. was that that money would give me the ability to not have to worry. Yeah. Or have, have pain or have fear because that's what I was seeing other people around me have. But the people who I looked to, who also probably had a lot of those same feelings that didn't have that was my grandfather. He's a successful business person, started out as a teacher, ended up owning a Dairy Queen, sold the Dairy Queen, ended up buying other businesses, ran those businesses, and then bought insurance agency. And so wow. it was through this process that he acquired significant amount of wealth but he was the only person around or in our family growing up in my, in my household, money wasn't prevalent, but obviously mm-hmm. we had our grandfather and he was kind of a, a beacon of what was potential and possible. Now he passed away when I was really young, but when I go back and I remember thinking about him, I just think that he was this energy, this giver, this beacon of light, and he happened to be successful. And it seemed like money wasn't the biggest worry. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure as a business person, it's because you have it and you learn how to work with it. But that's one of the big things that drove me to kind of go down this path of, hey, I need to figure out how I can work in the business world because that's where it's going to be. It's not going to be in service. It's not going to be in the construction field. It's not going to be in a kitchen. It's not going to be in these places where, you know, in my family, those were common places for jobs. Mm -hmm. It was I must find a way to get in business and to be Mm -hmm. moving up quickly because that is going to be the solution. And ironically, you know, it's true for me. Business was kind of the the thing that allowed me to launch off and do great things. But it also, I think, is a big part. uh, A big part of that is because there's so many people in the business space, especially in the entrepreneurial field. And you find it a lot in real estate who are really focused on personal growth. And at the core, I really think that's what made the biggest difference. It was that focus on continuing to learn, continuing to make change happen for yourself and for other people. Mm -hmm. But that ends up really paying off really well when you talk about business because it starts to compound and then dollars, you know, cents turn into dollars and dollars turn into many, many, many more dollars. Yeah. And then the confidence that you gain from that and understanding even different kind of business, you have the freedom to start the confidence to kind of start it and knowing that you're like, well, I don't know exactly how this works, but I've, I've got it, you know, um, before even as successful, you may kind of, get a little bit down or whatnot, but you know, you got it in terms of your mindset is uh, strong enough to kind of overcome that. That's awesome. Um, so moving forward a little bit, you mentioned 
so going to business. So I'm assuming you didn't go to college or did you ever had a daytime job? Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely went down that path because even though entrepreneurship and business were in the back of my mind, I knew that one tool that mm -hmm. I looked around that other people didn't necessarily have was a college education. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, I don't really believe that the traditional university education necessarily mm -hmm. unlocks all of this potential because most people go for degrees that are worthless and don't mm -hmm. really end up providing any kind of economic relief or impact for them. But mm -hmm. what it did for me and what I think it can do for a lot of other people is that it gave me a place to go and grow up, a place to go and form mm -hmm. and create. And when I got to college, that was where I really flourished. I ended up you know, quickly finding my place and, and, you know, the debate team and, you know, uh, speech and all of these different clubs and organizations. And it was because it was a place that was well rewarded for being independent, mm -hmm. for challenging the status quo. Uh, and when I graduated college, I ended up uh, working directly in management consulting. It's kind of the dream nice. job for a business person. Went in management consulting, loved the space, but what ended up being the, the catalyst for me to leave was trying to find other people that were passionate about what they were doing. And even though I was loving the name, being a management consultant, the prestige of being a management consultant, coming in being a hired gun, solving problems, doing it quickly, right. moving on to the next project. The thing that was missing was the, that surrounding of peers, specifically at the clients that we're at, that were passionate, excited about life that were, were there to make a difference. And so that's what drew me out to move from Minneapolis to, to Boulder, Colorado, start working in the tech space. I worked yeah. in tech, uh, both, uh, on the development side, managing developers, as well as moving over, uh, to the marketing side before I went and mm. started my first venture. That's and awesome. that venture ended up, you know, ended up leading to a lot of lessons learned, a lot of growth. And then, you know, eventually, after a few more iterations of figuring out what is the best step and where is this going to go uh, and where is this going to be the best fit, that's when I found my way to real estate. And the thing about real estate was there was always this feeling of fear, this feeling of I'm not 100% sure that I can do this. So mm -hmm. I don't have, you know, the, the living beliefs were popping up that I don't have the experience. I don't have the connections. I don't have the family uh, with the background in the space or the capital or the money or my own mm -hmm. money. And so all these things kept popping up as reasons that I shouldn't go and do this. They were just anchors that were trying to keep me in place, preventing me from being able to launch off and go and do something different and have yeah. another opportunity to learn. But fortunately, I had this moment of clarity, this experience in my life that ended up launching me uh, into just making a decision. And that mm -hmm. decision for me was I'm going all in in real estate. And so for me, that was firing all my clients, having no other way to make any money wow. at the time. And I don't recommend that for most people, but for me, by cutting myself off and giving me no other choice, but to find the way I was willing to navigate through that storm and, and find good solid footing. And, you know, by the end of year one, we had bought and flipped over 75 houses and within wow. two and a half, uh, nearly three years, we had done over 200 in wow. uh, two different States across the country. And that experience ended up giving me the ability to understand not only the financial side of real estate, but also the operations. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really, really important to understand those two, even if you're not going to be the person who's in the trenches, even if you're not going to be the person making those asset management decisions on a regular basis, understanding what needs to go in. And most importantly, how that business needs to be managed is critical because when you're placing capital, when you're going out and finding operators, it's key to be looking for people who know how to do this well, have mm-hmm. experience, have the track record and are not learning on your dime because we definitely, we learned on our own dime because we were, we were borrowing uh, investor capital uh, and we were paying out set interest rates. And so as a result, the risk was fairly low for them. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about equity investment, you want to make sure that those operators are really, really clear Mm -hmm. on their business plan that they've already got that experience so that all the upside is going to you as the investor and they've capped the downside by already learning that along your path. That's awesome. So that that's a huge long saga that you just (laughs) walked us through the whole co-sequence there. I like to kind of tease out a few of these and just kind of going through all the segments. I'm sure our viewers has many, many questions over that. Um, I guess the first question was, would you recommend back to, um, you know, getting a day job? Do you looking back? Is that the right step to kind of have a solid foundation. Um, And I heard what you said over there is also you kind of leverage a job to learn some of the skill sets, whether it's conscious or unconscious, um, to learn kind of not only the tech side of things, but also the marketing side of things. Um, So would you kind of recommend someone who's thinking about, well, should I even get a day job? Uh, Or should I quit quit my day job right now? Um, You know, is that is do you, how how do you think kind of day job plays into your you know entrepreneur I think there's really two ways to look at this and of course there's many different but let's simplify it for the yeah. sake of this argument I think there's there is true entrepreneurs and then there is true employees mm-hmm. entrepreneurs are people who are willing to take massive amounts of risk have and deal in significant amounts of unknown that yeah. doesn't mean that the upside isn't so much higher Mm-hmm. And the risk that they're that. taking, that doesn't mean that the upside isn't through the roof and the risk they're taking, they might lose this, but if mm-hmm. they get it, they, you know, they have the sky's the limit, yeah. but it, an employee is somebody who is looking for that direction and mm-hmm. looking for that leader who's going to take that risk themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody who can go and fit within an organization, have somebody else who's willing to deal with that uncertainty out in you know, in nature and dealing yeah. with all of the unknowns that come there, but that are going to be the one that are going to be the guide along the path. They don't necessarily, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with either path. They're actually both extremely critical together. You need the visionary who's going to go set the way and you need the team who's actually going to execute and make that happen. And, you know, typically that is occurring together. But what I think is a big mistake mm-hmm. that a lot of people make is that they think because entrepreneurship is sexy now and entrepreneurship is the popular mm-hmm. thing to talk about. 10 years ago, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. as cool to be a business person as it is now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to go down that path because they they dream of that freedom and that upside, but mm-hmm. they're not clear on really what that downside is about. Mm-hmm. Really, it's not about not working at all. It's actually probably as an entrepreneur, it's about working 10 times as much as you would mm-hmm. as an employee. But the difference is you're doing it because you love to do it because you found something that you're really in alignment on and that you want to work really hard. So for most people, I'd recommend focusing on doing the action or activity that's going to make you the most money the quickest. So going down the entrepreneurship path probably 
is a drop in income before it's an up in income. And so you're going to end up having a trade-off there. So what I usually encourage people is if you know you're the entrepreneurial type, then there's nothing that I'm going to do to persuade you otherwise. You know, you're going to go take that path. You're going to go make that path happen. Now, if you're in between, you could go either direction. But if you're going to go the entrepreneurship path, you need to commit 100%. But for most people that I talk with that are unsure, I usually recommend, hey, why don't you figure out what you're absolutely the best at? and go find a way to put that skill set to work. That doesn't mean what you like doing the best. That means yeah. what you're the best at what's, and what is going to end up providing the most amount of value out in the marketplace. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is that if you can make as much money as quickly as possible and work at doubling that income as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. then you can take that income and you can actually invest it. Right. So the quickest path is you have to have money to invest money. If you're going to go down right. the entrepreneurship path, you've got to create a business, then you yeah. got to make money, and then you got to invest it. Yeah, but if which you're could in, be in, longer in the in the beginning of the period, possibly. Yeah, exactly. But if you're an entrepreneur, or sorry, if you're an employee, then you make money and you invest money. It, it's yeah. a it's a clear path of what you have to do. And so there's no right or wrong. There just mm-hmm. is whatever is going to be the fit for that person. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and so now kind of quickly jump into your first year of flipping. So now you quit your daytime job. You just basically told all your clients, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go full head. You know, one thing I admire about you is whatever that you do, it seems to be that you just kind of like, you're like, this is done, put it on the shelf. And uh, I'm, instead of, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, they will start a business, then they start another business that they just kind of build on top of it. But you're kind of more like, this is done. This is not aligned with uh, the larger focus of where we have. Therefore, I'm not afraid to kind of cut off the existing income because there is a confidence on launching the second that the next business that you're going to be, you know, you're going to be successful with and which has more potential. So, um, you know, but that first, first, um, business the philosophy, that you got in, the, the, to cut in here for a second, the philosophy yeah. behind that is very clear for me. There's only so many hours in a day yeah. and there's only so much, uh, cycles that I can have on a brain wave, uh, perspective. So that means mm-hmm. I can only think about something, Uh, so many thoughts per day. And if I'm going to be successful, then Mm -hmm. I either need to set up that business so that it operates without me needing to have those brain cycles, or I need to tear out, cut out, hack out whatever it is that's distracting me from that core focus. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I am limiting my potential of finding Mm -hmm. success in that space. And so for a lot of business owners that are able to figure out, Hey, I'm really good on the operation side. I, Mm -hmm. I want to put this operation. I really want to scale it up. I want to see this continue to go. That can be a really, really phenomenal path to go down, but Mm -hmm. there's something to be said about willing to sacrifice something that's working well today in order to set up something that's going to work phenomenally better and be in better alignment for the long term. And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of the way that I, my philosophy is about life and about work and about projects is that everything in life is a project, which has Mm -hmm. a clear beginning, middle and end. Now we Mm -hmm. can start a new project. We can continue going down that path. But if I'm able to shut down this operation in order to set up the new operation, I'm actually able to focus all my effort there so that I can really enjoy and know that I've Mm -hmm. given it my all. 
because yeah. sometimes I think a lot of people end up failing only because they don't give their all. Right. And yeah. that's really, in my eyes, the only way you can fail is if you don't learn or you don't give a hundred percent. And a yeah. lot of people make themselves fail because they're out of fear. So they don't give a hundred percent. So they, they end up getting to the point where they're like, well, I knew it wasn't going to work anyways. Well, it yeah. didn't work because you didn't do it because right. you didn't take the action. You didn't make that your whole thing. Exactly. So going back to your original question though, the house flipping game, it was a phenomenal business, a phenomenal mm -hmm. experience, but what you're really creating and one of the core purposes of getting into house flipping in the first place was to create income in order to invest that income. Right. And so I knew going into real estate that the purpose uh, behind real estate was to create consistent income that came in on a regular basis. Well, after a year, after two years, after going on three years of flipping, it was clear to me that the income that was coming in was large mm -hmm. and was inconsistent. In mm -hmm. other words, you can't determine exactly when the house is going to sell. You can't determine exactly when the, the money is going to come in. Um, but what you can determine is that over time, you're going to continue to grow and things are going to continue to be great. And so right. no problem with the inconsistent chunks of income. However, the issue for me, the reason that it ended up leading me to choosing to exit the space and focus on, you know, placement of capital in large commercial opportunities, like our business now today is all about vetting commercial operators, going, finding the best in class operators, and then mm -hmm. curating that capital uh, for our investors to be able to invest directly in those deals. And the reason right. for that was specifically because in the flipping business, if I'm not focused on it or my partner's not focused on it, it's not a business that's going to keep running on its own. Yeah. You can yeah, put these kind of operational um, firewalls in place. You can put these safeties in place. But at the end of the day, when you're investing mm -hmm. large amounts of money and you are borrowing large amounts of money and together that ends up leading to sig significant risk, you mm -hmm. really need to make sure that you have eyes on that directly right. have an impact if those mistakes are happening. And so mm -hmm. after doing so many projects and seeing the results of those projects, both good results and losses, only mm -hmm. a handful of losses, but when you have one or two, you end up learning quite a bit from that. And mm -hmm. we are grateful for those because they end up really moving the needle in the direction that we need to be going. Mm -hmm. But it's through that process that it was clear to me that if I want to continue to go down this path, I'm going to need to be willing to let go of a business that does not serve me or my ideal clients, mm -hmm. but's making me great money in order to step into a business that is truly going to allow me to serve the same kind of people, the people that are growth minded, the people that are committed to success, the people that are already successful that I want to be around and learn from, and that want to be around me and learn from the strategies that we've been able to adapt. Those are the kind of people we want to serve. And that's not who we are serving in our yeah. house flipping business. Yeah. And so those are, you know, as a whole, that's really the big realization that ended up happening for us. When you're switching that. Um, and I want to kind of just go back to the house flipping business for a second over there, um, because you mentioned on your first year, you were able to do 70, 75 of these house flip. So what is the path to do that? Because your previous job is all IT job. Um, and I'm going to go back to like a switch in the business. So I see that first job is one business too, but now you folded that and then you get into a second one. What do you think it's the single most impactful thing 
that help you accelerate it because there are house flippers I talk to and they would do maybe four or five, five projects a year. And that's basically it. Right. But like, how do you actually scale up to like 75? Um, to me, that's an amazing growth as well. Yeah. Yeah. The path to scaling to 75, it all comes down to the beliefs that you carry. So I went into flipping houses from a perspective of learning first from a mentor who had flipped many, many, many houses mm -hmm. and was now at a point in her career where she was just flipping a handful and it was more of a hobby that mm -hmm. made her hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up being able to surround myself with a group of people who are all on a path to flipping 50 to 100 houses a year. And so all of a sudden you get in community with people who are building these businesses that are substantial and that are based on uh, the economies of scale. Mm -hmm. That made me be able to believe and understand that it was possible for me to build a similar business myself. Yeah. For me to be able to see that it's possible, be able to see the potential strategy in order to arrive at mm -hmm. that and then be able to actually make that happen uh, it all comes down to belief. Yes, there's yeah. strategy that goes into it. Yes, there's understanding. How do you go and execute? How do you find those deals? How do you manage those deals? How do you raise the capital for those deals? How do you end up putting together the business to be able to run that flipping mm -hmm. operation? Yes, all of that strategy is important, but it only is possible mm -hmm. by getting yeah. yourself around other people so that you can adopt their beliefs long enough for them to become yours to be yeah. able to see that somebody else is already doing this successfully. And therefore I know without a doubt that if this guy or gal can do it, that I can do it. And yeah. that was the moment that I had, you know, multiple years ago. And, and that was what moment I always look for. It's, it's that pivotal moment mm -hmm. that you can have when you're learning something new and it all comes down to finding other people who are already successful at what you want to do and yeah. getting close to them. That's awesome. And what about, so now moving forward, when you're doing the flip business and then you're switching into the multifamily uh, business. Um, so obviously there's a pivot moments of realizing whatever that you're doing, flipping is a active job. Um, and then you can kind of never l let it go, even though you have system in places. Whereas like the multifamily, assuming it's probably for more consistency, more scalability, and also in some ways, um, it's, it's more passive income streams that you're building on that. Um, so between these two switches, um, what, cause I meet a lot of flippers and they never kind of cross that over. And then, and they may flip. And at one point they may realize maybe a good idea to hold some of them because we know the power of tax saving taxation. A lot of us light in holding passive income, not flipping passive income. Um, flipping active incomes per se. So what is, what is that kind of moment helped you think about, oh, I have a successful flipping business over here, but I'm going to switch to a multifamily business over here. And then are there any similar between similarities between the two businesses that you feel that, you know, you can kind, kind of draw on comparison with and someone who's like you, a flipper going into the more multifamily uh, can learn from. You know, I talk about this with a lot of my clients, a lot of the clients who are investing with us in these commercial deals, because they ask me, well, what was it? What was that moment that ended up making you realize that you needed to, you know, focus more on holding over flipping? Well, it was m multiple years ago at this point, but 
what had happened was we were flipping at volume. There was a change in interest rates. Mm -hmm. And when that change in interest rates happened, it made it really, really clear that we were making really great money. But if the market happened to shift, mm -hmm. everything that we were doing was on a short-term basis. Mm -hmm. Loans were on a short-term basis. Project plan is on a short-term basis. And so if there's any kind of major shift in the market that we're really only set up to adapt, <clears throat> to be able to adapt to a short-term basis. Yeah. So as a result of that, I started holding on to properties. But for anybody who's flipped properties before is making 20 or 30 or 50 or $100,000 per flip, it's very difficult to hold on to something that's only going to give you $100 or $200 mm -hmm. a month. It's yeah. very, very difficult not to just sell it because money today is oftentimes better than money in the future, the whole time value of money principle. Mm -hmm. But but the, the thing for me was that I knew that I needed to get back to that core purpose of why I got into house flipping in the first place, to take the capital and the access to properties that I had and to start investing uh, and holding on to these properties. And so mm -hmm. I did. I started holding on to single family properties. First, mm -hmm. the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one. And over time, I had a, a handful of properties and I was starting to experience some of the frustrations that everyday investors experience when they go and buy a single family property for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, you end up dealing with the incentive alignment for property managers. Somebody's, you know, rents a thousand bucks a month. They're making 6%. They're only making 60 bucks a month to manage a property that costs me 150,000, right? Yeah. And and they're spending more on expenses, uh on maintenance. They're spending uh more on marketing than they than they have allocated. They're mm -hmm. they're selecting tenants that aren't necessarily the best fit. They're siding with those tenants over the landlord even in situations where they shouldn't because of right. they're in a place of fear. All these things start adding up. And what they add up to is a lot of frustration, a lot of annoyance, and a lot of lack of control. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started looking around. And I, I remember that I, you know, I had, was familiar with the commercial space, but I, similarly to when I was looking at getting into house flipping, I had a lot of limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. I had the belief that, oh, well, these are too big. I don't have the experience. I didn't go to the school for this. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not from an institutional background. All of these limiting beliefs ended up creeping up, but. I remembered back to that experience and I went and found uh, myself around other people who are already successfully doing this. And by getting in community, once again, I was able to see that, oh, this is quite possible. But not only that, it's actually better than I thought it was mm -hmm. to be focused on larger properties, the economies of scale, the mm -hmm. uh, ability to work with partners across different markets, the ability mm -hmm. to have an asset that's large enough that I can fly out and check out the details on every asset which you can't do on a single mm -hmm. family property. It doesn't make economic sense to go look at every property when you're buying 10 or 15 of these things a month. Yeah. But the the best part about it was the way that uh, multifamily and commercial is valued based on net operating income, based on the actual income of the property instead of mm -hmm. you know the surrounding properties. And for yeah. those of you who don't understand that, the thing that really blew my mind was this rough analogy of, for every $1 saved or $1 earned on the property at a five cap, that's going to equal or equate to about a $20 improvement in the value of that property. And that's mm -hmm. really big because mm -hmm. when it's not tied directly to the neighbor's property, it's tied directly to the income that's being made. You as an operator have a lot of control. 
And mm -hmm. so for me, it became pretty clear. And it was the same kind of moment that I had in the past where I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm going to take this slow. And I intentionally slowed down. I did not immediately make the switch like I had, and mm -hmm. I wanted to. I slowed down and I eased my way out of the existing business. Mm -hmm. I already had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing. Let's slowly move away from this business and allow us to have the space to go and do, you know, bigger and better things. And that's what really led us, you know, to creating this private investor network and having the ability to go raise capital for some of the biggest and best institutional operators and be able to co-locate those funds and offer lower investment minimums and, you know, the ability to really work with amazing people. And mm -hmm. so I just want to share something because I think we're about to wrap up here that if yeah. people are interested in learning more about this passive investing thing that we're talking about, we ended up putting together a, a no cost resource. It's totally free uh, called the Passive Investor Playbook. It's a 52 yeah. page guide. It's really something that you can dive into. And even if you just read the first couple paragraphs, get a nice little intro or dive deep into it, you can find a copy of that for free at the investormindset.com slash passive we'll put it over here. Yeah. Investor. We'll definitely put the link on, over here as well. Um, down below the boxes over here in the resources. Yeah. And so, yeah, grab a copy of that, the investormindset.com slash passive, uh, or shoot me a message if there's any way that we can add or be a value of service, just because, you know, one of the things that I realized was sometimes you just got to talk to people. You got to talk to people like, uh, like Alyssa, like, like myself, like other people already down the path so that you can start realizing that it's possible for you to do this, for you to get yeah. out of the everyday and start making your life more of what you believe. And if you enjoyed the interview, then I definitely encourage you to check out the Investor Mindset podcast because we do this twice a week, talking with some of the best people in the industry from Chris Voss to Mark Manson to Joe Fairless to everyone in between. So um, if, if you do, send me a message on uh, one of our favorite social media platforms and let me know you listened and uh, uh, definitely appreciate having the opportunity to serve you guys today. That's awesome. And we'll put that link underneath here as well. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your time today. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody should. This is this is our one way to go to financial freedom today. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you okay. so much. Thank you for listening to 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. This can be you. What if today was the day you started the countdown clock to your financial independence? Join many others like you at www.easyfiuniversity.com to get started.